that's not something where you need to have a sales rep or a customer service handholding the customer. I mean, our our buyers are savvy. You know, they they're they work in highly specialized technology, science-driven fields. Like they yeah. should be able to go in, have an easy way to say, these are the 10 products I order every month. I need yeah. 30 of this, 15 of this, five of this, and automate that. Yeah. And then you can have your sales force and your customer service spending time in front of the customer to upsell, cross-sell. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Scaling e-commerce operations for a global business is hard. You have multiple challenges such as different product mixes for different markets. You might also have completely different channels and customer journeys for each channel. But if you are a medical device business, the complexity of your operations will be at a different level. You have different regulations in each market and how you price and commercialize your products. With consumers still expecting an Amazon-like experience. In today's episode, our guest, Colin Cronin, shares his insights into the evolution of B2B digital e-commerce capabilities from global medical device manufacturer. He also shares his insights into how to build appropriate channels and markets for e-commerce initiatives. Finally, he shares his insights into their current architecture, single source of truth, and 24 cross 7 strategies. Let me introduce Colin to you. Over the course of a decade, Colin has been a digital marketer, developer, analyst, project manager, and leader across commercial, operations, and technology teams. Now, he leads digital transformation at global P2P medical device and technology manufacturer Leica Biosystems. For the last few years, he has driven 20% year-over-year growth via a B2B commerce platform of over 40 million per year and supported a global digital lead generation channel of over $150 million per year. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Colin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. It's really great to be here. I'm honored to be participating in this and I appreciate the, the time that you've extended to me. And I am super excited to have you as well. I think the depth of insights that you are going to have in your e-commerce journey, especially for the regulatory industry, it's going to be so fascinating for our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story? And your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a bit of an unusual winding story in that um, my academic background is in completely unrelated field. So I went to school in a liberal arts college up here in the Northwest, uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, about an hour south of Seattle. And my major is actually in music performance and political wow. science. So completely unrelated. So you could say I fell a little bit into this, but as I found most uh, e-commerce, marketing, digital technology careers often come from unusual places uh, because when I went to school, there wasn't any degrees or any programs, educational yeah. programs specifically in these areas. E-commerce, even though it was 
it existed um, back then, but it was still a very specific field, specific industry, and it's morphed a lot over the last um, couple of decades. So I started mostly as a freelancer doing, um, you know, kind of web development, web yeah. design, and then over time started doing a little bit more digital marketing. And I've sort of had almost every type of role from, you know, search marketer, copywriter, yeah. marketing automation. Yeah. Um, analytics was a big part of my career. I'm very passionate about data. Um, okay. But I also started working on e-commerce projects. Uh, around 2013, 2014, I started doing some stuff with um, some smaller websites, uh, whether that was um, sort of B2C kind of music publishing type um, applications. Yeah. Um, but over the last few years, I've, I've really spent a lot of time in the B2B world, which um, has its nuances, has its challenges. Yeah. And um, throughout all of this, you know, there was sort of always this focus around digital transformation. Um, and for me, that means a few different things. And I think for a lot of people out there, they hear the terms digital transformation. And they're like, well, what is that? And how does it relate to like what I do? Yeah. And, you know, some people will look at it purely in the lens of commerce. Other people will look at it purely from the lens of analytics and business yeah. intelligence. Yeah. And to me, it's really all those things. It's really how do you leverage digital technologies, digital yeah. platforms and process optimization yeah. to transform your business and both internally, meaning how do you streamline things? How do you make your business operate better, faster, more efficiently? But then yeah. also that customer piece, how do you transform? transform the customer's digital experiences and overall customer experience with your business. And so I think that the commerce world is actually a great intersection of those things because there's internal transformation. You know, yeah. what do you do from your systems flow, your integration, your product management, your commercial strategy? And then how do you use that to then change what it is the the customer experiences and so over the last you know five or six years at like a biosystems you know i've really focused on trying to understand that better and you know to deliver not just breakthrough within the organization but also figure out how do you really make an impact to your customer because at yeah. the end of the day like that's what's going to keep you in business yep yep so very interesting and it's going to be really interesting to dig into all of those layers. I think there are a lot of different directions that we can take in this conversation. But before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be Colin, your perspective on business growth. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think everyone's probably struggling to figure out, especially in this, you know, post-COVID world, or I should say current COVID world, like yeah. how do I drive growth? How do I how do I take my business to the next level or even keep the, you know, keep the ships um, yeah. floating, keep the trains running on time because there's just been a whole lot of impact. To me, you know, and I think to a lot of people out there, growth is is about how you achieve sort of reliable and sustainable um, you know, marketing, sales, uh, revenue maximization, profit, all of those things go into it. But it really all starts with the customer. It, it goes back to, you know, your customers are what are going to drive your growth engine. Yep. And whether that is, you know, selling into a new space or, you know, growing share of wallet in your existing customer base. Yeah. I think we've seen with a lot of places, B2C and um, B2B, the, the, the transition over the last couple of years is much more towards how do we use digital channels to maximize sales and grow the business. And so digital commerce, I think, is a key cornerstone of that. And for those people out there who are trying to figure out like what to do, you yeah. got to start really with the customer, you know, like yeah. where are they wanting to buy? What are the unique challenges that they they go through? And sometimes, you know, in, in some industries, it can be very simple and very direct in terms of just spinning up a storefront and giving, you know, your customers the ability to buy there. But especially in B2B, we find that that's, it's often 
more complex than that. So we're in kind of a, a heavily regulated industry in healthcare, medical device manufacturing. And oftentimes customers are not able to just go online and buy. And so what we have to do, and I think what you have to do is really be honest with yourself and yeah. you know with your business around where do you need to meet your customers? Where are yeah. they at? And, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, growth doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to take the latest and greatest technology and the most innovative and expensive and cutting edge thing and put that in place because that's going to help me grow. Yeah. Sometimes you might actually find that that's something that was invented 10, 20 years ago that has been an industry best practice in some sectors, but maybe yeah. not in yours is enough and maybe more effective at driving the kind of growth that you need. Um, so really starting with the customer, where are they at? Where do they buy? Who are your personas and targets? And then using digital transformation to enable those things to happen. Okay, so amazing insights there. So now, uh, you know, we are going to dig into your business a little bit and we are going to look at your journey overall from the maturity perspective. I don't know how long you have been there in this specific business, but when you started the e-commerce maturity, I don't know how mature the business was. I don't know if you have some sort of, uh, you know, evolution path uh, that you guys are trying to follow in terms of either penetrating specific skills uh, or the specific uh, geographies, the way you are approaching how you are converting your legacy business to slightly more digital business. Uh, and I don't know if your goal is going to be to change this into digital business. So first provide a little bit about the business model. Uh, you know, how big is the business? How many different products, entities, or all the layers of the business model, and then talk a little bit about the evolution of the business from the e-commerce perspective. Yeah, definitely. So we're about a billion dollar business focused okay. mostly on um, the research or sorry, the clinical space and then research as sort of a secondary market. So we're in okay. cancer diagnostics. Okay. Um, and so a big part of our business is clinical, but we also do serve researchers and life science and okay. we support the end to end workflow for pathology. So it's okay. a lot of devices used for tissue processing, for staining yeah. and, and you know a lot of industrial heavy equipment. But we also manufacture software. Yeah. Uh, software products and much more, you know, antibody molecular probe detection systems, the things that are really used in a lab to um, detect whether or not a, a tissue sample might have the presence of cancer in it, what yeah. type of cancer. And, you know, our customers are really all of those people who are in the lab, you know, whether it's pathologists, yeah. lab techs, lab managers, um, but also with some of our more advanced products, you know, we, we engage with IT, with procurement, yeah. because there's a lot of integration with lab systems. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the company, even though it's manufacturing, is a highly technology-driven company. Yeah. Yeah. But when I joined, I would say that the digital marketing and digital commercial space was very uh, unevolved. Okay. Um, we did have some very basic digital marketing in place. Yeah. And we did actually have an e-commerce, I'll call it, it's hard, kind of hard to call it e-commerce. It's more of like an order fulfillment portal. Yeah. Uh, it was a homegrown kind of setup where the customer could log in, place their order, but there was really no way to control the customer experience, you know, as an IT homegrown system that yeah. is based on legacy technologies. We're talking about like Lotus Notes and, and things, you know, <laughs> a, a whole bunch of like RFCs. It, it was a little bit of a mess. Um, but the thing is, and to go back to my point earlier, it drove business. I mean, yeah. we were driving, you know, over 15 uh, million in revenue alone in just yeah. in the US. Yeah. And you'd look at the experience and be like, well, that looks pretty old fashioned. It kind of looks yeah. like something came out of the 90s, but it was it was driving revenue. And so it wasn't as simple as, well, let's just pull the plug on this and put like Shopify or Big right. Commerce or yeah. Magento on top of it because yeah. 
you know, unlike a lot of companies where you might be starting from scratch to build yeah. e-commerce on an existing channel, we couldn't erode that uh, yeah. away. And so we had to be very thoughtful about the way we modernized it. And I think there's a lot of manufacturing companies out there probably find themselves in a similar position. They have some element of online ordering. And the trick is how do you modernize that so that you can really, you'll do true digital transformations. You can really optimize the customer experience. So we started, you know, a couple of years later with a discovery project to really understand, okay, if we want to modernize digital commerce and bring this into I want to say the 21st century, but I almost feel like it was bringing into the 20th century at yeah. that time, um, but really just, you know, make it better so we could improve both the customer experience, but also help the marketing and sales team to be able to execute on activities. Yeah. So we started with, again, with the customer, it was re- really all about user research, uh, customer journey mapping, understanding, okay, what are customers who buy online? What's their, their demographic? Because what we found is not all of our customer segments can purchase directly online from a storefront. Yeah. Some of them have, you know, requirements like, I have an e-procurement system internally and I got to place all my orders through that. So we yeah. know that something like a punch out or yeah. a hosted catalog would be the way to go. Yeah. Well, we didn't want to boil the ocean. So he's like, hey, we'll, we'll save that for later. So who are our target segments that really can buy directly from an online storefront? And yeah. we narrowed that down to two or three of our key segments. Then we said, okay, what are the business requirements for these segments? So as you yeah. think about this, you know, if you think about your own journey and really trying to modernize or implement an e-commerce experience, you want to see who are the people who are most likely to buy directly from you online and what are their requirements? Yeah. Maybe they have a requirement for standing orders or subscriptions, or maybe they don't. In some industries, people don't prefer to buy that way. So you want to build your initial implementation and your roadmap to fit those core business requirements. You know, if you think about 80-20 rule, yeah. you know, those those subset of customers who are going to drive 80% of your revenue, what matters to them? Yeah. If you optimize for them, you can get that quick win coming out of the gate. And, you know, at, at, in our space, it's all around selling the value to internal you know, internal parts of the business. Yeah. Finance is not going to improve a multi-million dollar e-commerce implementation if they can't see that you're going to deliver any return on that value. Right. In our case, it was, you know, the scrutiny around, well, whatever you build in there needs to be at least as good as what is there, which sounded easy to do on its face because the front-end experience was so, you know, 1990s, 1980s almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the backend complexity was extremely difficult to pull off because we okay. had hooks into our ERP system. Yeah. You know, we're real-time pricing, complex pricing models, how you do order creation and have it not go into some queue that has to be then manually imported by a, you know, a customer service rep. Because customer service is one of your, also your key stakeholders. If you yeah. can't, you know, if you if you create more work for them, even even if you have the orders coming through e-commerce, if customer yeah. service is now saying, well, each one of these orders has problems, I got to spend. And 30 minutes processing each one, you're going to quickly exactly. use the buy-in. Yeah. So a lot of our a lot of our initial development um, project after our discovery phase was figuring out how do we architect a system yeah. that plays into the ERP, that pulls the product data, the customer master data, the pricing information. Because you know in our in our space we have really complex pricing rules and pricing logic. So yeah. when a customer logs in, if they don't see their agreed upon price, yeah. They're they're not going to trust the system that it's yep. it's a place to to place orders. So 
we actually went live in 2019, um, okay. in the middle of 2019 with a new platform. So it took us about, it took us longer than we would have wanted. It was about an 18 month implementation project. Okay. Um, and so originally we wanted it to be shorter, but it took us a while to get our wrapper heads around like this whole backend architecture. But when we went live, we actually had a really good response from our customers. Um, you know, we, everyone loved how much faster the system was, how yeah. much easier and intuitive it was. You know, they had sort of modern features that you would come to expect as a consumer, you know, like favorites lists and order yeah. templates and how you, you know, save products and configurations together for, for reordering. They love that they get a better view on their order history and their order status. And these seem like really basic things. If you go to Amazon, you're like, well, it's been there for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years almost. Yeah. And, um, but, but in B2B, you know, I was actually very surprised at how often those basic features weren't there. Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, customer delights, yes, you know, it's tempting to go to sort of the latest and greatest, but you'll often find that buyers in that space have yeah. not been accustomed to those sort of consumer features in their business procurement or business ordering. So if you can deliver those things, you can actually get a really big win. And that's sort of what we did. And since then, it's really just been, how do we deliver incremental value? How do we constantly you know, provide enhancements, bug fixes that improve? And yes, we do sort of like larger feature integration and complex projects, but we really try to stick with, you know, monthly releases so that we're constantly delivering, you know, steady value rather than, you know, well, it's going to be one year before we can make any more improvements. Okay, so very interesting uh, details there. So one of the comments that you mentioned is you had the legacy platform where you had roughly what, $50 million revenue, and you mentioned that it was actually driving the value. Now, when I talk to my customers, sometimes for them, it's very, very, very difficult to grasp how the digital and e-commerce is really going to be driving value because everybody sort of perceives value differently. For some people, the value is going to be, okay, do I have revenue, one additional revenue am I getting uh, from the from this channel or some sort of savings? Uh, then it's going to be really easy for them to justify the cost of development, the cost of digital. Obviously, there's going to be a price tag for these things. They are not supposed to be free. So in your case, when you mentioned that, you know what, it was really driving the value. Can you touch a little bit more on that? What was the value from your perspective? Was it really that you know, you didn't have to hire any sort of salespeople. Your customer journey was really automated. This was the channel that was sort of autonomous, uh, that was performing automatically. And that's how you perceive that it really had the value and maybe touch on different customer channels and the buyer journeys that you have across the channel so that we can touch on those journeys as well as you transformed into the, the new platform that you have built. Yeah. So when I think about that, I think there's there's a couple areas that really matter here. And I think yeah. one is, you know, do you have a channel that allows you to be more efficient? So, okay. you know, with us, uh, you know, it takes, you know, on an average order that isn't an exception that doesn't have a, a, a you know unusual case, it'll usually take customer service anywhere between six and eight minutes for data entry. And okay. we get hundreds, thousands of orders every day. So if you think about it, you have a lot of people who are just sitting there keen in line after line, yeah. order after order. And yeah. these orders come in all sorts of ways. They come in by email, they come in by Excel files, spreadsheets, yeah. PDFs, people phone them in. They, we even have orders that still come in by fax, or we did yeah. have orders that still come in by fax. Yeah. And some businesses will stay doing that way. But that's a lot of overhead. When you think about like, you know, smaller orders that are very repetitive, you know, I'm a customer and I'm, I'm replenishing my stock every single month. Do you really want to have, you know, a huge part of your workforce just sitting in there typing stuff in or yeah. 
can you think about how to shift that time and that allocation to higher order value? Yeah. Especially when you think about sales, sales yeah. to me is about selling. It's about delivering exactly. value to the customer. It's about helping them think about what products and solutions work together yeah. to help them do their job. If you have a customer and a sales rep who every month is putting in an order to replenish stock, that's not a good use of their time. So for us, it's not about it's not about hiring less salespeople. It's about how you make the time of your sales force more effective. Those things that a customer should be able to self-serve provide a way to be able to have the customer do that self-service and automate that order flow. So with e-commerce, you know, we we sell kind of at a very high level. You can kind of break our products into two big buckets. We have okay. consumables and we have equipment. And yeah. that's a bit of a simplification. Yeah. Um, you know, we obviously have different types of equipment and there's, as I mentioned, software and other things. But there's basically there's capital purchases. You know, I'm yeah. going to buy a large tissue processor or three for my lab, but I'm not going to buy that every single month. Right. But then what about all those materials that you use up in your tissue processor, your yep. cassettes, your wax, you know, all the different things that move through that you use up and you have to buy again. Yep. That's not something where you need to have a sales rep or a customer service handholding the customer. I mean, our our buyers are savvy. You know, they they're they work in highly specialized technology, science-driven fields. Like they yep. should be able to go in, have an easy way to say, these are the 10 products I order every month. I need yep. 30 of this, 15 of this, five of this, and automate that. Yeah. And then you can have your sales force and your customer service spending time in front of the customer to, to you know, upsell, cross-sell, support them in, in technical applications and things that help them do their job. So, you know, that alone, that efficiency optimization, and, you know, there's different ways to quantify it. Each business, you'll have to kind of take an internal look and say, what is the dollar value of an order worth offline versus yeah. online? Yeah. And what are these operational savings that you get by freeing up the time of all these people who might be involved in an offline order otherwise? Yeah. So I think it's number one. Um, but the, the second thing is, you know, how do you use digital commerce as an acquisition channel? Because, yeah. you know, you have a world, you have a universe of known customers, prospects, accounts, and they're buying from you. But, you know, these days we, we see increasingly more that, uh, you know, the the first point of research for a lot of users is online you know they're they're using the the internet to discover new products to discover new vendors and so when you think about that especially in you know b2b fields where you have kind of niche products you might not have a whole lot of manufacturers or companies providing this service or this product within that space you know you might have to understand like what are the nuances and all of these you know very technical types of products yeah. so if you don't have a digital presence and you don't have a way to kind of bring the user from that sort of you know, high level part of the funnel, the awareness phase down through consideration, down to the decision and purchase point, you're really losing out on the opportunity to acquire a new set of customers. And so that's why when we talk about whether it's online storefront, B2B marketplaces, you know, using digital advertising and channels to drive activity to your online purchasing um, channel, like you really need to think about like leveraging that as a way to get new customers. Um, you know, one of our, our senior leaders always says like sales job is to keep the current customers happy. Yeah. Marketing's job is to go out there and find new customers and find new prospects and to either convert them directly online yeah. or to partner with sales as an assisted channel to be able to bring people in for sales to then grow the business, grow the yeah. relationship. So I think for us, that was really how we casted the value. And I, I think that from, you know, because I, I still do a little bit of freelancing and consulting here and there. And that's the challenge that I see in a lot of businesses across the across different sectors is, you know, leveraging digital as a way to both 
optimize internal processes and get operational savings, but then also not forget about that top line growth. Digital is a powerful set of tools to be able to acquire new customers and grow along with the sales team, grow the existing incremental value from your customer base. Okay, amazing. So one of the things that we have not touched so far is going to be really that geographic presence of the company. And, and we have done one of the interviews with uh, another medical device company. They were also selling the oncology uh, equipments. So for them, uh, one of the challenges that they had is really controlling the release of the product and controlling the course in the specific geography. Because uh, in their case, I think they were doing a lot of product development. I don't know if your products are already approved and you are simply selling them, or are you guys doing the product development as well? But when you are selling the medical products, obviously you need to go through the FDA life cycle. And as you know, FDA life cycle is going to be different in different countries. So that actually uh, creates another challenge uh, from the e-commerce perspective, from the way your quoting process is going to be done. So have you experienced similar challenge in your case as well? Are you primarily in the US? Or do you sell in any other international markets too? Yeah, this is definitely a challenge. And it's something that um, a lot of my peers in, in similar companies uh, struggle with. Um, yeah. So this question is actually a little bit uh, multi-part. So yeah. we are a global company and we sell globally. Um, we have um, you know manufacturing facilities in, in most of the major uh, continents. And we have you know a, a very strong presence throughout not just the Americas, but also Europe, China, and APAC. Yeah. Um, e-commerce, however, right now is limited only to the US. And that's a little bit of a strategic decision. Um, initially, when we were on the old platform, yeah. we did have uh, e-commerce running. And uh, it was, I should say, available in other countries. But outside the US, there's very little business being done. And that was, there was a couple of things to that. One is that each market is a little bit different in terms of how customers can buy. And so in some countries where we were live, you know, there was actually not a, uh, you know, either a legal or sort of a, a norm within that country that, cus- you know, that organizations could purchase from suppliers in this way. Yeah. But also there was no commercial execution. So, you know, it's like turning a site on and expecting that like everyone will come to you, you know, you know the, the old adage, like build it and they will come, you know, that's been proven to be false. Like if yeah. you don't drive, you know, the promotion and the, you know, commercial execution of, you know, e-commerce in the same way that you would drive it for a product launch, you're not going to get success. And we very much treat digital commerce as a product, as a platform, as something that you don't just launch it and expect it to run on its own. There's constant maintenance, constant enhancements that have to be, and you really need to take a product manager view of that, partnering with the commercial team in order to be able to get the value that you want. So that's sort of one factor that we we do drive e-commerce in the US, but globally, it's more of your traditional lead generation. So we have, it's something called transformative marketing, which is something in the uh, our parent company, Danaher, it's a term that they use in a lot of their operating companies. Um, and it's kind of a just a fancy way of talking about not just digital, but you know, uh, data-based marketing, things that use analytics and more transformative approaches to be able to drive. Yeah. So in places like Europe, um, APAC, uh, which includes, you know, countries like Australia, New Zealand, but also Japan, Korea, India, you know, in, in those countries, along with Europe, we're focused mostly on how we drive leads through our, you know, our sales force. Yeah. Um, so using CRM to generate yeah. 
um, opportunities and track those down to closed one, but we still maintain that closed loop reporting. So we know that, you know, people who start from say a paid search ad or a, um, you know, an SEO optimization or a marketing automation email campaign, we yeah. know where they come in from and we can track that all the way down to the closed one level at the sales opportunity. Um, so it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a dual model. Eventually the goal is that we'll start to roll out digital commerce in other strategic markets, but we're very, being very particular about where we decide to go to first, because we've had the lesson of if you go, you know, if you try to launch digital commerce in a country that isn't ready for it. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean technical readiness. I mean, yeah. commercial readiness. Do yep, you yep. have the operations teams, the supply chain management, the customer service resources to support that because you know once you give it to the customer their expectation is they can use it and if you yep. open it up and it's kind of like live chat you give it to a customer but then they can't use it to do what they want they're going <laughs> to yep. be very upset yep. and you're going to create more problems than yep. you have the bandwidth to solve for yeah um so right now our focus is on optimizing the us but we do have an eye on which markets might be a good fit for rolling out e-commerce until we do that you know we sort of have our standard lead generation funnel which works very well i mean we yep. our digital program has evolved a lot in the last five, six years, just through some of the basics, you know, good yeah. SEO, good paid search, really optimizing I mean, paid search, I think is something that sometimes people underestimate as, you know, if you're new to a market and you're, yeah. you're new to a market in the digital sense, yeah. it's a, it's a good way to accelerate your growth very quickly because yeah. organic optimizations, they take time. They're the long game, but yeah. how do you, you know, look at either paid search or paid shopping or social media advertisements, depending on where your demographics are. Yeah. How do you leverage some of those things to be able to almost get a jump start to your digital presence? Okay, very interesting. So we are going to build a little bit on that, uh, you know, especially when it comes to your e-commerce presence and then, uh, you know, CRM integration as well. Uh, so the, you know, question that I had asked is going to be, limiting the access to specific products if they might not be approved uh, for those markets just yet. So even let's say if those markets are not really selling through your digital channels, you still have your sales reps who are probably utilizing your same system and they are probably creating the codes right inside your CRM system. So you still need to have those controls set up and the codes are actually coming from many different places. So you need to have the centralized control so that you don't have end up selling a product uh, that was not really approved for that specific market. So uh, how is your architecture uh, you know, set up when it comes to, let's say the e-commerce to CRM integration? And when you talk about all of these channels that are actually coming centrally to your CRM, how do you control the, the product flow across different markets? Yeah, so we have a, a fairly sophisticated setup of data integration, sort of okay. um, data and system fabric that allows yeah. these systems to play well with one another. So the source of truth for most of this is your ERP system. So okay. you've got your ERP over here. It holds your customer master data, your product master data, your yeah. you know pricing, pricing information, um, and all the contracts and stuff. And so when you talk about product development and product being regulated, yeah. we have a pretty tight control over, uh, and this goes down to the level of individual country and SKU. Yeah. When a new product is rolled out, you know, as you mentioned, there's things like the FDA and a similar body in each country that regulates which countries uh, or which products can be sold in those countries. So yeah. product management, they've got to go through with regulatory a, a view on, you know, registration, licensing, yeah. and that information all comes from um, our ERP. So ERP will have the master of in which countries can you sell which products. From that data, it flows out to other systems like CRM and 
e-commerce. So we won't show anything, you know, as e-commerce, for example. And I should clarify that the e-commerce platform, the transactional capability is only in the U.S., but the same platform is used to serve the content for the rest of the world. Uh, And so that same functionality of, you know, is product X licensed to be sold, let's say, in Germany or in India or in Brazil? That data comes over into our system through a series of integrations and we'll show or not show that product based on that result. And it's, you know, of course, you know, systems can can break and there can be bugs and stuff like that. So that's our responsibility and our um, burden to maintain that and make sure are the data feeds correct? Are we actually seeing the correct products coming from ERP over to e-commerce? Yeah. If we're not, then we need to take actions to resolve that. Um, but that product data management, really, you need to have a single source of truth. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you end up with like, you know, flat files and people uploading and importing all these CSVs. So now, you know, e-commerce has one set of data, CRM has one set of data, ERP has another sense, and they're not talking to one another. Yeah. And for us, like, you know, we had to make that. It wasn't a it wasn't a question of should we invest in this or not. It was absolutely necessary because in our space, we can get hit with a lot of really painful fines and other things that will cripple our business if we don't yeah. maintain good control over this. Um, in some, you know, in some other spaces, it's not so critical. You know, if you're not, if you're not in a regulated industry, you don't maybe have this burden. But a lot of yeah. healthcare manufacturers, pharmaceutical, a lot of these companies, they, they, it's really essential that you have that. And so. You know, I would suggest that, like, if you're dealing with these types of issues, really think about, like, where is your, where does that data lie? Who manages yeah. it? Who are the yeah. process owners? Who, who has like visibility into and the expertise to be able to tell you which products can you sell in which markets? Now, there's also that lens of which products do we want to sell in certain yeah. markets because it might be approved, but strategically maybe it doesn't make sense. And so yeah. there's a kind of an additional layer where the commercial team. We'll sort of discuss, okay, what are our strategic objectives in this market and where is the market at? So, you know, we have, for example, with our staining systems, we have some that are very advanced, fully automated, and we have some that are, you know, maybe simpler. They provide some level of semi-automation or some level of advanced capabilities, but it isn't the, you know, it isn't the gold, golden version, the the full suite of of, uh, software and, and hardware capabilities. We may actually sell those cheaper, simpler instruments in certain certain markets and exclude the more complex ones because we know, you know, our customers there, they're not looking for that level of application. Yeah. And so the website has to be capable of not just taking the regulatory information, but also being able to show and hide different products based on the priority in that market. Because what you don't want to happen is go to market with a product in a certain region yeah. that then cannibalizes your sales. But then the, you, the customer realizes, well, this is actually not a good fit for my business or for my needs. And so now you've sort of eroded your existing market of products that are better suited to try to push a product that they're not ready for customers lose confidence they they go to to look at competitors now you know in terms of all right this is too complicated i need something that will be simpler so digital has to have the capabilities and you know you start small it doesn't need to be all there at once when you know for e-commerce we actually focus on only a subset of products that sell well on e-commerce we don't sell our entire product portfolio and so that's something that you need to think about is you know sort of first if you have regulatory or compliance issues, how do you get a handle on that? How do you create a single source of truth for the data that can be fed out to other systems yeah. through integrations? But then also, how do you enable the commercial team to intelligently sell your product portfolio? And this is most applicable if you have a, a portfolio of, you know, large number of SKUs. So 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 plus SKUs. Yeah. You know, you're not going to sell every product to every customer in every mm-hmm. location. Yeah. So you want to have your digital technology and your processes in place to be able to support 
you know, like kind of selection of, of right products to prioritize. Okay, very interesting. So we are going to build a little bit more on the single source of truth uh, because, you know, obviously it's easier to uh, talk about single source of truth, but it's much harder to pull off from the design and, and architecture perspective. So everybody sort of, you know, tries to do uh, things differently. Now, if you have, let's say, just one system, obviously things are going to be super easy, you know, it's just one database and one database is controlling everything. But we all know that, you know, one system is probably not going to be enough for any business uh, because they all have their own strengths and weaknesses and how they should be uh, be utilized uh, in a specific situations. So obviously in your business, you have the e-commerce, you have your ERP. I don't know if you have PIM because PIM is going to have some sort of product data as well. So now you mentioned that, you know what, my ERP is source of truth. So I don't know if you are making the live connection for all of your inquiries across the channels with the ERP, if you are making live connection, easy peasy, right? Because now you are simply talking to just one database that is your single source of truth. But when you have punch outs, obviously that call is probably not going to be real time. So sometimes you are going to have problems because of that, because you have to reconcile this data across uh, these systems. So in your case, what has been your sort of design and, and the architectural philosophy? Are you talking real time? Do you have PIM that carries some of the product information uh, along with your ERP? What, what's been your uh, design evolution? Yeah. So where possible, we do try to do real-time calls through, you know, more API-driven development, just because, yeah. it, like you said, it, it, I won't say it's easy-peasy, um, but it is, it's much more effective. And, you yeah. know, you, you, you can create the confidence. Like, you know, we had a customer very early on, um, one of our, our bigger customers, and when we were doing pilot testing, we wanted to make sure that this customer was part of our initial usability round and, yeah. you know, and really got the feedback because basically if we screwed things up in the launch for this customer, we would have had a lot of pain in, exactly. in the first six months. Yeah. So we spent some time with them. And one of the things that they, they picked out really quick is, Oh, this pricing on this product I buy is wrong. Um, yeah. you know, and you know, it's something that, you know, and through some troubleshooting, I won't go too deep until we were able to figure out why it was wrong. And it was actually a data issue. It wasn't yeah. an integration related issue, but yeah. it's one of those things where you want to minimize the number of failure points by yeah. which something can, can happen. So like, you know, when you do things like batch processing, you know, let's say you've got an ERP where your pricing and product data is, and you're sending that, that file out. Well, there's a lot of failure points that could happen. You know, yep. where are you sending it to? Are you sending it to, you know, a F SFTP server or a file yep. share, or, you know, yep. Amazon web, web service, S3 storage or Azure or whatever? Okay, did the file actually make it there? You know, did the yep. file get generated correctly? Did it land in the right spot? Then you yep. probably have a job that's like, okay, I'm going to look and pick up this file, you know, once every four hours, eight hours, 16 hours, whatever the frequency is. Yep. Does that job fail? Okay, yeah. the job didn't fail. Then you have to import it into your e-commerce system or wherever it is you're putting it in. Did the exactly. importer job fail? So it's a lot of failure points, you know, to see you know, anything could go wrong in that chain. And there are still some processes, unfortunately, where we're still in that file transfer that we've been trying to figure out, is there a way we can get away from this? Um, yeah. But we deal with that issue. You know, we're having to now build auditing capabilities on both sides, on the yeah. ERP side, on the file transfer side, on the e-commerce side, just to make sure that that, daisy chain of events is unbroken because you yeah. know any one of those failures could mean now customer sees the wrong product customer sees the wrong price customer sees a lower price than what they're <laughs> supposed to get so now they buy it thinking hey i got a discount and then customer service goes back oh i'm sorry this wasn't your actual price and if exactly. you've ever had a conversation like that with a customer it's not that pleasant you know they yeah. say well you know this is the price i checked out with so this is the price that i should get 
it just creates a lot of headache. And then people lose confidence. The customer loses confidence. Yep. The sales team loses confidence. The finance team loses confidence. Yep. And once you start to lose that with your key partners, it's really hard to win it back. So where possible, we do try to do real-time you know, API, whether it's SOAP, REST, or you know, we're trying to look more now at GraphQL and, and newer emerging technologies just to see, okay, is there a way we can get this information so that it is accurate, as accurate as can be, you know? Yeah. Sometimes there are cases where, well, customer negotiated a pricing change, but it hasn't actually made it into the source of truth yet. And so that yeah. is its own challenge. And, you know, there's not really a good way around that from a technology perspective. That's yep. a process related thing. Yeah. But you want to try to reduce the number of points where a failure could happen. Now, I will say the challenge with real-time calls is you have to have very good architecture because what happens if you don't build it well is you start suffering performance issues, exactly. bottlenecks, system crashes. And yep. we have struggled with that. You know, I would say that's one of the things that we're still trying to figure out. And yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of businesses in our space are trying to figure out how do we make it scalable? How do we make it so that customer can get access to inventory, stock, pricing, real-time, but have it not make the page take five minutes to load? When we first... You know, this was actually, uh, uh, you know, when we first rolled out our inventory service, we actually had to take it down because it was the performance hits were so bad. I mean, the site was taking, you know, multiple minutes for every page to load. And that's yeah. just not acceptable. You know, yeah. customers these days, they, they want fast websites. And it's not just customers. Google search engines, they need this to happen now, you exactly. know, with the core web vitals rollout that Google did earlier in the year, they're prioritizing more and more of those UX and kind of page speed elements. If you have a yep. site that's taking, you know, more than a few seconds to load any single page, you're getting hit and docked. And that's not just affecting your front end UX. It's also affecting now your ability to rank in search yep. engines. So exactly. it's a trade-off. And, and so we said, you know, yeah, inventory it would be great to have real-time inventory, but we can't, the site can't function this way. So we had to take it down and it took us about another year before we figured out a way to roll it out. And it isn't the best experience ever, but it's a right balance of access to the information with the performance that the application needs to have to have a good customer experience. Very interesting. So now we are going to be talking a little bit about the, uh, you know, uh, on the real-time integration that you mentioned, that you, on uh, major points, at least you have some sort of real-time integration. Now, from my experience, when I talk to other customers, one of the challenges that they run into, and I don't know if your ERP is on cloud uh, or on-prem, so that could be one factor as well uh, in terms of enabling this strategy. So one of the challenges that our customers struggle is going to be 24-7 enabling of e-commerce. Because most of the cloud systems, at least the ones that I know, uh, they go down for some time. Now, e-commerce needs to be your 24 cross 7. So I don't know if you guys are 24 cross 7. Do you go down in sync with your ERP? Have you enabled some sort of load balancing and parallel systems so that you have your continuous uh, you know, deployment strategy from the ERP perspective? So how do you enable 24 cross 7 if you have that? Yeah, so... What I'll say, I'll preface this by saying that I've never seen a truly 24-7, like 100%, you know, no failures. I think, you know, this, the standard the standard for most things tends to be 99.9% .9 uptime SLA um, yeah. to, to try to get that, right? So it's so 99.99% just because 100% guarantee it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, you're setting yourself up for failure. And we have had system failures before, you know, be completely yeah. transparent. We've not had a perfect record there. It is much better than where we were at with the old system uh, yeah. for context. There was a time when I had first joined the organization where 
our system went down for something like 48 hours and the customer couldn't order for two days, which is, yeah. I mean, it sounds awful. Like if you think about it, like if you wanted to place an order on Amazon and yeah. then Amazon said, oh, I'm sorry, our system is down, check back later. And the next day you checked and it was still down. You probably wouldn't buy from, you probably wouldn't go back to Amazon again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have very gracious customers that, you know, are, are willing to put up with some of that nonsense. Yeah. But at that time, none of that control to fix these issues was in our team. You know, this was a, again, a, a purely IT driven system. And it was actually managed by one person. So yeah. it was really hard even to get like time to support this. So when we built out the new platform, you know, uptime was something that was really critical for us because we we didn't want to be in a situation where a customer could not place an order. And now they're they're blowing up their sales rep, their customer service rep, their, their sales manager, their tech <laughs> support. Everyone is hearing about the fact that they can't order and we can't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah. So when we built the new system, you know, we are actually still on an on-premise model, though we're evaluating, you know, whether we might want to move to a cloud infrastructure in the future. And it's actually a, it's actually a hybrid. So we're moving to a new web platform for our non-e-commerce side in early 2022. And this is all cloud-based, load balance, kind of triple triple a server redundancy. Our existing e-commerce for the next year or so will probably stay on it on an on-premise model, but it has a similar model of, you know, you know, multiple app servers so that if one goes down, there is redundancy in there. And so I would suggest that like if you're looking at, you know, if it's a mission critical system, like you I would actually advise moving to the cloud sooner rather than later because these days there's much more DevOps um, driven architectures that allow these implementations in a cloud setup with, I would say, I won't say no resource maintenance, but it's it's a lot lower than it used to be. Because with on-premise, you're, you're dealing with not just the not just the hardware aspect of it, but then also the configuration, making sure that you know your your deployments can be orchestrated together in the right way so that when you make a deployment, for example, there is still a layer of the site up and running. Um, eventually we want to move to kind of full cloud architecture, but built in a way that it can support by pulling and pooling resources from other places. But for, for so far, I would say in the last couple of years, we've had pretty good luck with the setup that we have now. And we have a very good team that manages the infrastructure and can provision all of that. And I would say that, you know, since mid 2019, we've maybe had two or three incidents of true downtime where, you know, it's actually become an issue for the customer. Um, usually, you know, there are, a you know, a minute here or a minute there where there might be like an intermittent issue between like transitions of deployments. Yeah. But we've actually been able to keep a good handle on that. But it's also because we have a, a larger team to manage this. I think for a lot of businesses, especially smaller smaller organizations, both in B2C and B2B, but if you really think about the small to mid-sized B2B um, company, they yeah. probably don't have a large IT team or a large infrastructure team. Yeah. And if they do, they're probably more in charge of internal facing things. Yeah. You know, They're not looking necessarily at the commercial technology stack. So I actually think that cloud services provide a really good way for most businesses, especially in the manufacturing space, yeah. to kind of get that level of support and get that level of functionality that you need to run a digital commerce platform and a digital commerce experience without needing to have, you know, a team of five to 10 data infrastructure engineers and, you know, and application developers and architects to kind of maintain all of that. Because really where the value is going to come from is sort of feature development and extension for your customer and then marketing and sales execution, like how you take those capabilities and you know, execute on them commercially. You really don't want a marketing team to spend, you know, half their week managing technology infrastructure because then they're not doing, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not adding value to the company's bottom or top line revenue.
All right, amazing, Colin. So that's it for today. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was great really having this experience. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are struggling to, to figure out where to go with B2B commerce. And, and so my advice is just keep your ears open. And LinkedIn is a great resource. Your channel, both on LinkedIn and Slack are great resources. There's a lot of B2B commerce um, sort of resources out there that can help you drive that growth. And I'm absolutely happy to connect. Uh, my LinkedIn is just Colin Cronin. And you can check out our website, likeabiosystems.com, if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about what we're doing in the space of cancer diagnostics. You know, Our mission is advancing cancer diagnostics, improving lives. Uh, and so, yeah, happy to, happy to connect and, and help where I can, because we're all in this together. Amazing. And my personal takeaway from the conversation is going to be that if you have not explored anything related to B2B commerce, there are real opportunities available there, not only in terms of driving new revenue, but the insights that you are going to get from this effort is going to be phenomenal. That is going to change the way you do your business. On that note, Colin, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thanks, Sam. Pleasure. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Colin, head over to LeicaBiosystems.com. It's L-E-I-C-A-B-I-O-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tom Broden who discusses the nuances of medical device manufacturing and how it differs from generalized manufacturing. Also, the interview with Darren Meyer, who shares his insights on the unique nuances of the pharma distribution business. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.